You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of completing one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is brought to you by the Writer's Program at UCLA Extension, helping you reach your writing goals one page at a time. Enroll now at uclaextension.edu. Hi, my name is Barbara Stepanski, and I wrote a TV movie called Flint. Barbara Stepanski was born in Poland and grew up in Germany. She is an award-winning independent director-writer and a Nickel Fellow for her screenplay, Sugar in My Veins. She pursued her MFA at the USC School of Cinematic Arts and in directing at the AFI Conservatory. She has written and directed feature films, web series, and short films. Her work was shortlisted for the Academy Awards, featured on the Blacklist, the DGA Diversity Award, the Student Emmy. Most recently, she garnered the WGA Award for the TV movie Flint, which was also nominated for an Emmy. She currently writes for Outlander. Flint is a dramatic retelling of the first 18 months of the Flint water crisis through the eyes of two activist moms, Leanne Walters and Melissa Mays, who fought tirelessly with the help of Naira Sharif, the leader of Flint's Democracy Defense League, against the red tape of political indifference and blame shifting. Together, they established the movement Water You Fighting For to expose the high lead levels in their drinking water. The film documents their David versus Goliath struggle against the politics and the wall of denial from the state government, but also the friendship for life that ensued between them from persevering together. I wrote a pilot about Nazi hunting um, in uh, the year before that went out and was really well regarded and was set up for a while. And I think that attracted the producers to, to my voice because they knew I could do something that was social justice, but also was exciting and well-researched. I got a phone call that there was a project that was being set up at Lifetime and Storyline, and they would like to consider me as a writer for this project and had already read my materials, so would I be interested? They sent me an article called The Toxic Tab by Josh Sandburn, which was a Time article, and it was absolutely fascinating. So I read it, and the ideas just kept coming. It was very thick and very full of information, so I had to do, on top of his article, I had to do some research to simplify it for myself. And so then I just went in to the room and met with the producers over at Storyline and pitched them my take on the material and what I would consider doing. And I got the job. I usually write fiction. I don't write about real-life characters, and I'm certainly not a social activist. But what I do well is character, and what I do well is gray areas. I don't believe that a person's black and white. I don't believe that that there's such a thing as I'm I'm good and evil. I think everyone's coming from somewhere. And yes, you can get angry at something that somebody did, but they probably did it for a reason too. And so normally I write a lot of fiction that has an edgy context to it. I write coming of age. I write thrillers. Uh, I do, I, I love genre, but I always put in something morally questionable in it. And I think people just 
picked up on the character aspect and the fact that I, I'm good with research for Flint and I was a good fit for this particular project. So the take on the story was, uh, I was very inspired by a movie called And the Band Played On, which was a sort of historical period piece on the AIDS crisis and how that virus was found and how it was then brought to the public. Uh, Matthew Modine had a great part in it too. And so the structure I found fascinating because there were so many characters across the globe and Flint was very similar. There were a lot of characters that would have to be tied up in the script. And so that was my take, was, was to structure it similarly and to, to consider And the Band Played On as a mantelpiece. The other film that I sort of wrote in on that was very inspiring to me was Spotlight. And that had just won the Oscar, so it was good timing. I had read the screenplay. I really loved the tone. And again, you had a bunch of characters that you were following. It wasn't necessarily one person's story. I called Josh Singer, who wrote Spotlight, because I was so afraid to put words into people's mouths that are still alive. And I needed to hear from him how he had done that. First off, Josh told me not to be afraid of the truth. He said that if there were five characters, there were five characters. You let them speak. Not to limit your ability to give them a direction and just run with that. He said that he talked extensively to his people and for me to just do the same and find the moments. And after that, I was good to go. It was a really uh, valuable conversation. What I understood from what was going on in Flint at the time, which was 2016 is when I started on the project, was that it was an ongoing crisis. It hadn't been solved yet. There was a water problem in Flint. I figured out that in 2014, they switched water sources. So from Lake Huron Water, the Detroit-based water facilities, they would be using river water from Flint that they hadn't used in forever. And that created a whole slew of problems that hadn't been addressed from an infrastructure point of view. The water had turned yellow in some places, had huge amounts of toxins in it, uh, lead being the major component, and people started breaking out in rashes, kids were getting sick, and people just really didn't know what was going on. It took a while to track it back to the water. What was interesting to me is when I was researching the story is that it was mostly women and mothers that rang these alarm bells because they were seeing it firsthand. And so I was following these ladies that had first started to become very involuntary activists. Now, it was tough to find an ending to this because it's still going on. Flint water is still not safe to drink. The way I saw it was when their first big victory happened, which was at the end of 2015, is the switch back 
to Lake Huron water. It was the first time they were being heard. They were being backed up by scientific evidence, such as a doctor and an engineer and people that had a real, you know, say in, in these matters. That's really when the big victory happened and a national emergency was announced by the mayor. Step one for me to put the script together was an extensive amount of research. I broke down Josh's article. I then went in and read whatever I could online on the subject, anything that was out in the press, and created a humongous document of a timeline. Just every piece of information went into this timeline document that honestly nobody else saw but me. Like you head would spin as an executive seeing that. So it wasn't going to be for anybody else's eyes. But my next step was going to be to travel to Flint and ask the people that Josh had interviewed my own questions. And so I needed to know what questions to ask. I wanted to fill the holes, fill the gaps with what was the emotional content of what I was reading. I arrived in Flint with that document in hand, and for every person that I knew I was going to be talking to, I had a bunch of questions. We sat down, and it was an amazing experience to actually talk to everyone. It was completely different than what I had pictured. I had kind of expected to find a town that was a little bit broken and depressed and sad, but when I got there, and I started talking to these people, it was so full of life and anger. The anger was mostly what I took away from it as a, as a creative and as a writer. I wanted to capture that. My goal is to structure an arc to make you feel where the anger is rising from, where it's coming from, why you would follow it, why you would understand it. I think that empathy aspect is, is huge. My goal would be to have you understand why people get angry. And I wanted to know what that meant because I'm, I'm not an angry person by nature. So when I, when I talk about it, I was like, well, what does that mean? What did you do when you were mad? And a person would say, well, I started making flyers. I started standing in front of City Hall and, and distributing them. I started speaking up in, in those meetings, and this is what I said. So I wanted to know what exactly that was, That what were the first steps that led to people expressing themselves. And ultimately, what I learned from it is that you must speak up. What these people did is speak up. And it was very important to capture that, that they didn't just sit around and take it. And they fought very, very hard to be heard. And they were very loud. And that was the fascinating aspect to me, because this could have got on for another year before anyone did anything and pe more people would have died. That was really an eye-opening experience for me. There was a lady who showed me her uh, pipes and how they had corroded from within. And it was, uh, you know, I took a lot, a lot of pictures of people's like whole houses stopped really functioning. If you think about how much water we use every day for washing dishes, for filling up our, our water jugs and taking a shower every day, none of that was taken for granted anymore. I went on my, uh, on a field trip with the uh, plumbers. They did a voluntary filter 
run to the old people's homes and any home that wanted a free filter that helped with the lead. And that was really cool, too, because I got even more people's stories than I expected while I was going from house to house with the plumbers. So once I have had gathered all my research and had put everything in in a nice like file and all my interviews were were there the theme that kept coming up for me and I talked extensively with with a writer of the article about this was that this wasn't really a story about whose fault it is it was a story about passing the buck there was nobody that wanted to take the blame for this. And honestly, it was hard to point at one single person. It was an error of omission. It was um, trying to cover up that error. It was not listening to the the people that worked in those water stations to uh, but were saying we're not ready for for Flint water. And so it's it's a whole concoction of of a universe. There really is no face to it as such. There's obviously people that stood out as being part of it. You know, the city and the EPA, the MDEQ, Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. Those were organizations that stood out as the wall between what was going on and the people. But it was very hard to say, oh, it was this person's fault. The other thing that stood out to me was the community spirit. Of course, once the activists got going, these these five women, five, uh, there was the original five that sort of took on this fight, became very close friends in the process of this. And, uh, you know, are still very close. And I'm still Facebook buddies with a lot of them, so I still follow their stories. It was really interesting how they really didn't know each other until they started going to these city council meetings. The first step to my process was writing a very long outline. And in a way, I combined some pieces from my timeline document and the pieces that I had learned from the activists as I had interviewed them into something that is cohesive, something that has a beginning and an end. And as I mentioned, I picked that ending of that water switch. So in my head, it was going from water switch to water switch. So from 2014 to the end of 2015. And that water switch idea, even that image of somebody pulling that switch was an important beginning for me to frame it. Then I presented that outline. I really focused it hard on the friendships of the women. Those were my heroes. And uh, sent it off to the producers. Now, the funny thing that happened was that the producers read it and they, they got it. And then they sent it off to Lifetime to for, for that production to be approved. And they also read it and got it. But it was still extremely dense. I've never written a longer outline in my life. It was 43 pages. And uh, I remember that first phone call with with Lifetime and uh, Storyline. And they were like, okay. I mean, we could go in and start breaking this up, but we really don't know where to even start. Like, why don't you just write it? <laughs> so even though it was a longer conversation and we talked about, like, points that they wanted to emphasize in the script, it was really the easiest uh, notes 
call I ever got. It's it ended pretty much with, well, just write it. We'll see it when when we see it. <laughs> A normal outline would be between eleven and twenty pages. I guess you could call that a treatment too. I call it an outline. I I don't really do either one. I just do one document now. I just, that's my process. I did about three months worth of research. And the outline was, I started in, in April and the outline was done in July. Once the outline is approved, you have your, it's, it's really like a, a blueprint for the script. I just go and fill in the blanks now for the script so it doesn't it's not a horrendous amount of work it's usually between four and six weeks after the outline is ready i have a very disciplined process to writing my scripts i sit down at 9 30 i have my coffee i start by maybe doing some emailing and i know i have my document open and it's coming it has the words have to make it onto the page I need about an hour of warm-up time to really start writing heavily. And then I write uh, consistently and I think and I erase and I go back until I fill those pages. Um, I take a lunch break. I end my day at 4.30. And there better have been five to seven pages done in those hours. I actually monitor my page count at the end. Like I know at the beginning of the day I need to get to 12. I know at the, it doesn't matter if I have like the top of 12 or the end of 12, but I have to get there. If I go to 13, awesome. But that's how I keep track. So I know I break down my script and I know I'll be done in five weeks because five to seven pages per day equals to 25. Then two weeks you have 50, seven, 75 and 100, 110, 120 is usually where I end up. And the last section, the last uh, third act for me is usually the sprint to the end. So it, I, I, I just want to get it done. I want to get to that last word. So sometimes I tend to write way more towards the end than at the beginning. And I've been known to, to barrel through third acts very fast. The co-working space I work off of is called the Muse Rooms. It's in NoHo and in Burbank, and they're very colorful and bohemian and uh, creative. Everyone there is, is from a different walk of life, but they're all very doing very fun things. So I loved going there and uh, working from it. The most important thing that I learned from Flint was how to start scenes and constantly, I introduced new characters constantly in the first act. And I had to do it very fast and make sure you get that character and then move on to the next one. Eventually, all those people are going to work together and, and be a team or be on opposite sides. But when you first met them, you had to get a look into their lives. So that was something that was a really good lesson of how to get in and out quickly. I finished my first draft of the script. It was long. It was about 121 pages. But I honestly thought it was going to be way longer than that because Flint is an epic. I handed it in to the producers. I got some notes. Then it was handed in to the uh, network and Lifetime read it. And they had a good chuckle because I had focused a lot of my work on science. 
I really was very clear on what had happened. There was a corrosion problem with the pipes. They didn't have the phosphates to keep it from corroding. And so that was my keyword, was corrosion control was missing. There was a lot of corrosion control in the script. And <laughs> I fear that, that they were reading this and half of it was going in and out because when you're watching a movie, the last thing you want to hear is a science lesson. And I had to address all that. So in the next draft, a lot of the science went away and I tried to simplify it as much as I could without losing the idea of them sleuthing and the activists figuring out of what had happened. And that already then went out to directors. We were waiting for about a month or so for directors to respond. That became a whole other process of writing once a director was on board. A wonderful director came on board, Bruce Beresford, who had done um, Tender Mercies and uh, Driving Miss Daisy. He read the script. He really liked a lot of the elements of it. He was pushing me very, very hard to get away from the original timeline, to pull up the action as much as possible, to give people as, as much conflict up front as possible so you're in it. I really put my heels down for a while because I was so in, the, in this world and I wanted to do it justice. And <laughs> there was this constant battle where I want to make the director happy, but this is just not how it happened. <laughs> And so some battles I won, some battles I didn't. The first time I rewrote it, the director still wasn't on board. The second time, then when I did a more drastic changes, he really liked it. I'm not really a melodramatic writer. I write very sarcastically. I write very, I have a very dry sense of humor. I knew that there was going to be a point where this needs to be lifetimed up without me because I'm not the person to do it. And there was a writer that came on for four weeks who did a polish, mainly on one character because it was very specific to, to one person that had already been cast. I was kind of glad to see she didn't change all that much. One of my favorite scenes was taken out which was a humongous like seven-page scene that happened when the activists went to protest at the offices of MDEQ. And the conversations I've had from that were so true and so awesome because I had gotten them straight from the horse's mouth. I love that scene. The movie totally works without it, so they took it out. So a lot of things uh, were, were sort of left on the cutting room floor. But overall, the structure wasn't changed all that much. Ironically, then what happened was that the actress that the polish was done for quit two weeks before production. The polish contract was up and they didn't want to hire anyone else to do the research. So they rehired me. I still owed them a rewrite anyway. And uh, to make sure that I was there for production and I could address any changes and I could go in and sort of make sure that the logic still works and the science still works. since <laughs> That seemed to be my forte. 
the experience was fantastic. I had also vetted the script with the activists. I had made sure that even though things were changed and some timeline stuff was was moved around, that they that my main people still liked it and that it still worked for them and that it was telling their truth. And if there's anything they need to speak up now because once it's filmed, it's filmed, it's done, it's in the can. The casting was great. They all pretty much looked like <laughs> the real type person. And they uh, they did research. They called their activists too and made sure that they were doing right by them. Queen Latifah's part was an, an amalgam of two characters. That character didn't really exist, but there was some people that I could still point her away. It wasn't my first time on on a set watching my own film, my, my own work getting filmed because I went through film school. I went through independent projects that I had written or co-written as such. But for the first time, I saw a really large-scale production. There were trucks. There were 200 people on set. It was quite the difference from the little indie world that I was coming from. After the movie came out, it it uh, premiered, I think, in 2017 on Lifetime in October, and I got nominated for a WGA award for Best TV Movie Script, which I did not see coming. All of a sudden, I get these texts from friends, congratulations, and I'm all confused as to what is going on. And I looked I looked it up and it's true, there's a nomination for Barbara. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> so I was very pleased um that it had a really great life um after. I learned so much from Flint. It's hard to put into words because it's not just writing about real life events and being so daunted by that. It's also working with a studio and producers for the first time. That was really interesting. The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen, and recorded at the UCLA Extension Studios. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. Audio support was provided by Andre Nikolaev. The Writers Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.